Blog Talk Radio. Pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk the podcast. Man, am I excited about today's show because my guest is someone that I've developed such a nice email friendship with <laughs> over the last couple of years, and she sent me an email a few weeks ago about a little client that she's seeing, and we've had some nice back and forth. And so, if you want to look at the written summary for this show, I have <clears throat> excuse me, have all of that copied and pasted there so you can sort of see that, how we talked about this kid. And uh, I was supposed to do the show about him a couple of weeks ago and do it by myself, and then I ran out of time. And then I emailed Allie and asked her to be on the show and talk about it together, which I think is going to be a lot more fun since I feel like I know you from across the country. So welcome, Allie. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I told you earlier I feel like I'm getting ready for the Oprah show. (laughs) It's a very big honor <laughs> no to talk to you. Here. Yeah, you've helped me so much throughout the years. This is great. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So sweet. And Allie has a little hoarse voice. She got that as her little parting gift from visiting her parents. And then I have a little bit of seasonal allergy stuff starting, which seems to be all year round now. So we're going to be a pair this morning with our voices. Yep. But I think we'll be fine. And we'll talk about this I told you, I'm okay. With my cough drops and my water and my tea, so I'm ready to go. And I have my Coke Zero, so we are all set. (laughs) 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 Okay, so Allie, do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about this little guy's history and what happened, or do you want me just to read through those original emails and kind of summarize that and catch everybody up? And I'll do the bulk of the talking since you are. Uh, nurturing that voice on on oh, this, if you. if you want me to, or you could do the background. What? I can, yeah, I can start with just a little bit of background, and then you can fill in anything that you feel is important that I might have missed. Um, but okay. so I am an early intervention speech language pathologist, and I have been working with a little guy who's now two and a half years old since he turned two. And Uh originally when I started working with him, he was really um, quiet, not imitating much, not consistently showing his receptive language skills, um, so not following directions or showing his body parts consistently. Um, So we've worked through um, most of the 11 steps that um, Laura's been talking about with becoming verbal including, you know, gross motor imitation and um, attention and imitating gestures and just vocalizing pur- purposely. And now um, when, I, when I emailed her, he wasn't imitating verbally at all, and so now he is trying to imitate um, words. So that's been Yay! wonderful to see that progress. Yeah, it's so exciting. But he has a and, you know, it's... it's that's what I was going to say, too, and I feel like, too, it was a long time coming because you've seen him for five or six months before he really made a gap, and to me, and we'll get into this in just a minute, but that's always something that makes me think about a diagnosis with an A, <laughs> so either apraxia yeah. or autism, because those yeah. kids do to plateau for a really long time and then yeah. make big leaps and then 
slow down again and have have a plateau mm. again. So it was so interesting when you emailed me at the beginning because just the things you were saying, you you know, you talked about how great his uh, pre linguistic skills are, but then you said uh, they seem like, and you're talking about kids in general, and then you specifically get to this little guy, but you said they seem like the brain is telling the mouth what to do, but the mouth is stuck. And any time I read that from somebody, I just automatically think about apraxia. So yeah. I emailed back and said, does he have other markers for apraxia? Oh, and let me just say, your main question at the beginning that we wanted to toss around here and the whole kind of premise for the show originally was, what do you do about oral motor or oral alerting strategies? Would you do things like that with a little guy who's not imitating, but everything else is in line? And you were having this conversation with another therapist, and she really swears by those kinds of things. And so you were just getting another opinion <laughs> on yeah. whether that would be uh, relevant or applicable for this little guy. So so talk about that for a little while. Talk about how you were kind of, I guess, frustrated a little bit with his lack of progress because you've tried lots of different things. So sort yeah. of talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I think that that's exactly like, you know, feeling that frustration that he he seems to exhibit where his his brain really wants to imitate what I'm saying or what mom's saying, and um, he just gets stuck. And like I said, he was he was grabbing his face, like trying to get his face to make productions. Yes. And so, yeah, I reached out to a friend who just swears by um, alerting strategies, massage, vibration, in the mouth with a nook brush, you know, waking up the mouth. And, you know, I'll do whatever it takes. And I, I know this family right. would too. Um, so... So, yeah, so I'm like, okay, should we start this, like, five minutes a day, four times a day, make a really big effort here? Um, I kind of have leaned into it a little bit, but I haven't gone full force, like, let's work on crunchy foods and, you know, hot hot sauce and all those things to wake up the mouth. Right. You know, and here's just kind of my short answer on that. There's not a ton of research that tells us yeah. that that's effective. And I know that you know that because you are yeah. in academics as well as mm-hmm. a practicing clinician. So that always makes me a little bit leery. But, Allie, I'm like you. If I have gone months without seeing noticeable progress, I kind of feel like, well, what else do I have here? <laughs> Let's look yeah. and see what Yeah, what else is my Right, yeah. right. And I do think, and, and here let me say this too, I do think that we need to totally use evidence-based practice when we know that they're not linking oral motor strategies per se to increased speech production. But the truth is some of our little guys don't even realize they have a mouth. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know yeah. if you feel like that was kind of what was going on with him, but well, he was kind of a step beyond that because he realized he had a mouth, but he realized I can't get it to do what I want it to do, evidenced by yeah. him, him taking his own little hands and putting mm-hmm. them on his face. And to me, that is, I have never seen a kid do that who doesn't eventually get diagnosed with apraxia because they're trying to mm-hmm. do the motor piece there. The motor planning yeah. is not there. 
and they're smart yeah. enough to think something's not working here. Let me see what I can do to compensate and help it. So, mm-hmm. have have you seen a kid before who have you have you had a kid do that before? Because I've had a handful. I mean, some kids will try to move their own mouths, but that's not something that I see all the time. Yeah, yeah, I have. I I don't see it, you know, often either. But um, he, I do have another little kiddo that I work with who's now four. Um, I just kept working mm-hmm. with him after he graduated from EI. And he's turned right. into more of a severe phonological disorder. So I don't mm-hmm. know what that means, really. You know, um, it's interesting to see these kiddos grow up and see, you know, what happens for them. You know, Nancy Kaufman says that some kids graduate from an apraxia yeah. diagnosis to a severe phonological di- uh, disorder diagnosis, and I believe that, and I've certainly seen yeah. that, where I feel like we get motor planning going to the mm-hmm. point that we don't see as much groping or they stop trying to touch their little mouths. They stop. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a little bit more consistent than they were, which are these are all markers for apraxia, for those of you who are mm-hmm. listening. And we'll kind of go back and back up in a minute, but see, I already told you I feel like Allie's my friend and we're just having a phone conversation and you're mm-hmm. just kind of hanging out on the other end listening, <laughs> you know, but that that whole um, piece, I kind of lost my train of thought there. What was I saying at the beginning? You were saying um, once you get the motor planning going and less growth. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they they do move beyond look ha- looking so apraxic, for lack of a better word, yeah. and then they move on to they still have a ton of errors. The difference yeah. is they're a little bit more predictable and you start to see some patterns. And that's what I've seen that happen too. But I have had some kids who just even kept those big markers like inconsistent errors, difficulty with vowels, all those things that you sort of talked about for him that are kind of, you know, if we were looking at an apraxia checklist, gosh, he has a lot or had or has. So let's just move through that too because when I asked you about him, and again, this was weeks ago, to see if other markers for apraxia, and then you said he was just, and this was like the day before that you saw him and then responded, he was just able to imitate a bit yesterday, but here were the markers. And I think this is a really important thing to go over for therapists who aren't as well-versed in recognizing childhood apraxia as speech. And let me just say, the preferred diagnosis for that is suspected childhood apraxia as speech yeah. because, our, you know, and again, this isn't for your benefit, but for everyone else, our and especially parents, the American Speech and Hearing Association, which is a credentialing body for speech pathologists in the United States, really strongly suggest and recommend that we do not call or officially diagnose a child's uh, speech issues as apraxia until after he turns three. And so the accepted terminology there is suspected CAS, but I kind of feel like, oh, okay, whatever, that's just one little modifier yeah. word in there. And I have had some kids, and I do, I do get that, and I bet you have in your practice too. Have you had kids that you thought at the beginning, gosh, this is a motor planning kid, and then things just fell into place where you yeah. either you were so good with the therapy that you got going that things resolved pretty quickly, or you think, gosh, maybe I, maybe that wasn't as big of a piece as I thought it yeah. was. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely happened. And that's happened. why I think, 
Yeah, and 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 apraxia is so funny. It's overdiagnosed in some places, but in some places it's really underdiagnosed because therapists are too scared to call it anything other mm-hmm. than speech delay or language delay, and so then mm-hmm. they end up not maybe doing some things that would have been really really helpful because they were mm-hmm. looking they weren't looking at maybe as closely or as cautiously or whatever word you want to use there as they could have been because they're gotten a little bit gun shy about using that diagnosis. So that's mm-hmm. kind of background mm-hmm. for parents who yeah. understand our reluctance for calling it that. Yeah. But let me kind of, yeah, and, and parents don't always get that because they always they want an answer, and I understand that. I want answers for every single thing in my life, and I can yeah. imagine if I had I a I want to get them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted one. <laughs> Me too, and but I'm an ICD-9 co-generator at the bottom of the crystal ball that comes out and tells me, you know, in the first five yeah. minutes, this is the diagnosis that you're looking at. Yeah, <laughs> I know it. But I do, I, I mean, the, the nice thing about early intervention and what you always talk about is, like, we just work with what is, what is happening right now. You know, we can't right. predict the future, but we can think about things we can do that might help them move forward. So. Absolutely, yeah. and you don't have to have a diagnosis to get your strategies right. Yeah, you just have yeah. to know where you're leaning and what you think it might potentially end up being, yeah. and what that core deficit is. Yeah. So let's. I'm going to go back and read. I don't know if you have our previous emails uh, available, but I have I'm going to go back and yeah. read. Okay. When when you were saying. You know, he just started imitating yesterday, and here are the other apraxia markers that he had. He showed some groping, and parents here were talking about oral groping, so with his little mouth. And there are some good examples on my apraxia DVD that um, show a little girl, and maybe a little boy, but I think it's a little girl, who's really trying to say what I'm saying and really trying to imitate me, but her little mouth, you can see her just not really know what to do. And you described that little boy using just a beautiful description there with, you know, his his mouth seems stuck. It seems like he knows what he wants to say, but his mouth seems stuck. And we certainly see that's what groping is, I feel like. The child is aiming for the word, but there's a misfire there. And so that's why we'll mm-hmm. see the groping. And groping really isn't seen in any other speech diagnosis. I mean, sometimes we'll see kids who are on the spectrum who do not have apraxia or a motor uh, motor planning issue per se and so we might see them do some little facial grimaces or some other things with their mouths or faces that that are more like stems or self-stimulatory behaviors but I really with groping groping is pretty um, indicative in my opinion at least to point us in the direction of looking at apraxia because even kids with dysarthria who have muscle tone issues will sometimes have some a little facial component, and certainly kids who are disfluent can have a little facial component, but but mm-hmm. more often than not, when we see that with kids, I think of apraxia just right from the beginning. Do you share that opinion, Ellie, or do you more general with that? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not something that you see all the time, you know, um, especially over time. If you see it once, it's one thing, but I think, that um the other thing that that he does is his his mouth will get stuck closed basically and i and i've seen that again with other little kiddos who have you know more motor planning problems you have to you know be like open your mouth 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that mouth talking is know. really common in kids with apraxia, really common. I mean, to the point now that when I get an email about it, I just shoot it right back like I did with you. Do, does this child have other markers for apraxia? Because sometimes yeah. therapists haven't really linked those two. And I don't really recall mm-hmm. seeing that in any descriptions about apraxia, but boy, in my everyday life, I've certainly seen mm-hmm. kids who do a lot of that closed mouth talking or closed mouth vocalizing. And it's different than mm-hmm. humming because it. Yeah, their, their prosody. You can tell they're trying to say the word. They get the syllables right, or the you know, for cookie would be, you know, they've got mm-hmm. that. And so sometimes parents will describe it as humming, which I think about. Oh, that's self-stimulatory. Let me kind of. And again, this might be for a kid that I haven't met yet. That I'm just reading the description mm-hmm. and I start thinking. And then I get there, and I think, no, this is more a motor planning thing. He's he's trying to talk. He just doesn't have his mouth open. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Okay. So, other other markers that you saw, um, inconsistent errors, which we've talked about, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll say, and then and, and inconsistent errors to me means that he says it a couple of different ways. So Elmo might be Momo one time or Eh-Eh another time or Eh-Oh or that would be really close, probably not it at yeah. the very beginning, but just really inconsistent errors. So we see yeah. that a lot. Well, now that he is, yeah, now that he's imitating verbally, um, he is more consistent. We can predict more what he might say when we, when, you know, we have a target word. So that's become more consistent. So that's good. That is good. And what do you, what do you attribute that to? And then I'll tell you what my little take on that is. Yeah, my, it seems like he's getting better at making that, you know, brain-mouth connection, and so his targets are becoming more accurate. And he's learning the words more. He's learning, like, what? Go ahead. I was going to say the same thing, and I think it's just practice, you know. It's just yeah. he's got that motor plan more firmly established, and his brain is not misfiring as often, and he's, he's it's getting closer, and it's getting better. And so that's exactly mm-hmm. what I think it is. Sometimes people mm-hmm. will give other things that aren't as, uh, uh, let's say, believable. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to me, mm-hmm. I think it's practice. You know, and that's why we do therapy anyway. If, if, we yeah. weren't, if we didn't think all this stuff made a difference and made it better, why would we keep doing it? And that's why sometimes therapists will say, well, it couldn't be apraxia because he's pretty consistent now. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. buy that. If I think, mm-hmm. again, a reason we're doing all of this, and if we don't expect progress, you know, what, what's the point? They're supposed mm-hmm. to get better and more. So we can't always rely on that except at the beginning, I think, for a diagnostic piece. Yeah, One other yeah. thing that you said that he did is he used a lot of approximations like this and that uh, as he, oh, yeah. when he was first beginning to try to uh, use some word approximations, and then he stopped, and I think that's mm-hmm. kind of a telltale predictor for apraxia. And, Kids on the spectrum will do that, too. And sometimes normal kids will sort of get, and I wonder if you've seen this, too, they sort of get a little hyper-focused on a word, and then they let it go because they, yeah. they're moving on and adding other things. And so sometimes parents will really panic and think, oh, he's lost a word. or And that's not really what's happened there. They just haven't had as many opportunities to use it. But kids with apraxia, I think, will totally lose words. They'll say it great mm-hmm. for it a day or two or an hour or two or whatever, you know, two one time, and then we don't hear it again. So 
and when when you wrote me back, you know, and were you you were already thinking apraxia for this little guy though. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and like you were saying before, I just don't you know, I kind of just look at everything that's happening and and I have said to parents it seems like there's a disconnect between what his brain wants his mouth to do. But I have I don't actually use the word very much for a while. <laughs> yeah. The word and, and yeah. Is that yeah. Your, yeah. Is that just because you don't want to alarm parents or what's what's your philosophy on that? Yeah. I think I think partially because um I don't have a crystal ball and I and I think that yeah. they can learn, you know, that the apraxia Speech for Children, the Kasana website's wonderful, and there's a lot of really detailed resources, but I don't think that they're ready for, for those detailed resources when I was, when you know, through this. But now I have brought up the word, and, you know, so that they yeah. have kind of an idea of what might be happening and if they want to talk to other people about it. But I don't feel like I can predict, like, he's going to have apraxia for a long, long time, you know. Right. So, yeah. And it doesn't sound like there are a set of parents either who are hammering you for a diagnosis. No. And some parents yeah. really do that. What's wrong? What could this be? Tell me what this is. Yeah. What do you think it is? I've been Googling. What Google says, you know, and I had somebody email me yeah. a couple of weeks ago that said that a set of parents had consulted Dr. Google. And, that, you know, that's just made me laugh for yeah. weeks now. Yeah. Because you do look up things when you're a parent. I know even Absolutely. me with – you know, yeah. we, I look up things for myself and my adult Everything, children and think, yeah. could this be it? Yeah, it's just an yeah. explanation. Sometimes I think we have to go there when families really necessitate that discussion. But I like your approach yeah. with that with thinking, well, I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't want to alarm these people quite yet. I, this may be something that resolves. And I'll say this, too. A lot of therapists do, going back to that statement I said earlier, they, they sort of second guess with, well, this couldn't have been apraxia at the beginning, da 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 da, da. And they mm-hmm. don't, because they've gotten so much better. And so they, I think a lot of times therapists feel kind of relieved that they didn't go there at the beginning because things have moved pretty quickly, which we do exactly. want to happen. And I have, yeah, and I have seen kids at 24 months that I, you know, that I've even had to talk with parents about it, but by three, three and a half, four, they sound really good. So it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean. Yeah, that that every kid's going to have the same outcome either. You know, we will have children that do fabulously, you know, beyond our wildest expectations, and then we have some kids who are going to struggle despite what we've done. And certainly apraxia, it's like that. There's a a different um, severity level with all Mm -hmm. diagnoses, no matter what we're talking Mm -hmm. about. And so sometimes I think that kind of dictates whether you go there uh, with the diagnosis with the parent, too, is how severe is this? Uh, is he picking up words? Is he semi-intelligible to his parents? You know, those would also be mm-hmm. factors to decide whether you're going to use that um, diagnostic term or not. But, all right. So yeah. But, yeah, we have talked making, about those things like augmentative and ongoing therapy and that kind of thing, um, yeah. just so that they have it on their radar for his future, that, you know, it isn't probably just going to go away overnight. And, you know, it's going to, it's the long, right now we have to put a lot of effort into it. It's, you know, really important to be tackling it now. That's so good. And you're reassuring them that they made a really good decision by getting him in speech. And I think when we do those things, when we have those conversations with parents, we do a lot more to facilitate the buy-in piece, that they feel more Mm -hmm. 
committed to doing what we ask them to do because you're not saying that this will go away overnight or that you're not worried mm-hmm. or that this is no big deal. You're mm-hmm. being really objective even if you're holding back with a little bit with exactly what's going on. You're still giving them kind of that pre-shadow or foreshadow with, hey, this is mm, you're going to be dealing with this for a little while. So that's mm-hmm. always going to give parents mm-hmm. accurate um, kind of as much as we can picture for the future. Yeah. All right. So we've kind of talked about where he was, and we've talked a little bit about where he is now, but talk to us about what's going on now. Okay. All right. So um, as of about a month ago, he started trying to imitate some target words. And so now we're seeing, um, as I mentioned before, um, mostly consonant vowels and um, That's awesome. he uses, yeah, B, but they're all prompted. They're all like, you try it, you say it. Um, yeah. Not that much spontaneous word approximations, um, but he does have, he does have a bunch of signs, um, probably 15 to 20 signs that he uses regularly, but that doesn't always help him in the classroom because he does do right. some daycare. Um, and so one of the interesting sound patterns that he does is um, he's not using a mm, m much except for in isolation. So that's the M sound um, in case that doesn't come over. But um, so for, for moo, for the cow sound, he'll go mm, but he can't move to the ooh. Um, and then mama, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that's kind of classically apraxia, too. I mean, that, that description, yeah. and it's a sequencing issue. I may be able to get mm-hmm. these sounds individually, but get them together, oh, that's hard. And that's yeah. certainly another marker for apraxia. So just yeah. for our parents who are and thinking about that. Yeah. So, but he was saying, Mama, that was one of the examples that I gave for um, words being there and then, and then not being there. Um, a couple of weeks right. later, he was saying mama pretty right. accurately and regularly for a couple of weeks. And now it's kind of like Babu or daddy or not daddy. Sorry. He's saying daddy, um, Babu or Badi for imitating mama. Wow. Um, yeah. Way but off. He's doing, <laughs> yeah. That one. Again, off. not the most but professional description, but <laughs> way off. Yeah. I, well, see, I thought I should know something about that. So it's like denasalization. Um, like, why Why do they do beef? I know it's the same location of, you know, the lips, but timing. You know, and here's the thing. If we treated more preschoolers, we would remember yeah. all of those psychological <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. processes. But I think you're like me. We're toddler people and language people, and so some of that real speechy stuff. And see, here's the other thing. I feel like with him, it's all due to apraxia and motor planning, and so we can call it whatever yeah. the phonological yeah. process mm-hmm. is, but that doesn't really matter. Like you were saying okay. before, we've just got to get sound, you know, where okay. it goes there. Okay. Uh, what uh, other kinds of things have you done to stimulate that M? Have you tried anything, just uh, any vocal play with that? No. Well, vocal play, um, 
Well, yeah, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I talked to um, yeah. mom, and like, if we do some pretend, we'll really exaggerate the. Um, mm, mm, it's so good. Or um, give me the hum sound or the mm sound, you know, to try to get that at the beginning of like more, um, because that is yeah. more like a buh right now. Um, but his, yeah, uh, the other, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. All right. So the other sounds that he's doing, um, I was just looking at, oh, like, I, you know, he's really into gross motor play, big play, like balls, hockey, basketball. So that's, we get a lot of good um, imitation when we're mo- our whole bodies are moving. And so I've tried the, oh, man, <laughs> Trying to get that yeah. one as a, you know, reaction to the ball not going in. But I haven't been able to get it. Um, and his exclamatory words or his environmental sounds are okay. They are, you know, they're never, like, automatic. And like I said, most of his imitation is prompted. And so it's hard to prompt environmental sounds sometimes. Like, say, ah, or say, wee. And then you're lost. Yeah, and you're lost kind of in the moment because the beauty of that is having the emotion or the affect to go with it. Yeah. So when you have to sit there and cue it seven or eight times, you know, oh, the moment is gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do it, we should do it, but you're right, you're probably not going to get as much spontaneity there because he's still so cued. But on the other hand, I'm so glad that he's imitating better, and he just may yeah. stay. He just may stay parked at imitation for a long time. Yeah. Before yeah. you start to hear more spontaneous productions there. You know, what I would do yeah. with him, the other thing I might do is mess around with those vowels. And I know you're already doing that with pairing M yeah. with different vowels. And then you want to get oh, M in the you. middle. Yeah, and get M in the middle with O man. And try all man because I think that might be a southern thing. But I, most of the <laughs> kids that, I, that have been a praxic, I just mess around with what, vowel might help them and sometimes we think about that with the vowel after the consonant but you know I've seen success too with just really thinking how how can I manipulate this and tweak this just a little bit so that I can get whatever my consonant target is just by changing my vowel a little bit when it makes sense and I know right now that's kind of all theoretical or philosophical without kind of coming up with specific children and specific target words but at the same time that might be something to think about too. Yeah, and that's a good idea. Back. Yeah, and just see what you can do with that. And look, even look back over some other list of exclamatory words and, and see. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good one. Or, yeah. you know, mine, mine, mine. Kids are so, two-year-olds oh. are so naturally obsessed with yeah. possession. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. me, mine, those would be good words to try for that. Uh, and that's again, a good idea. I think we can really. Yeah, and it sounds like he's kind of a go-getter kid, real active, so you could probably get just some teasing going back and forth with taking a toy from him and, you know, doing the mine or me or, you know, yeah. whose turn is it mine? Anything like that where you can maybe get yeah. more spontaneous productions because he's going to be a little more revved up. Yeah, well, and that's the other piece. The other piece is that. Um, a lot of times his approximation um, imitations will just be one, one time. So 
so we don't get a lot of ba 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 or moo moo moo, and I know that that's the next step for him. It is. And, you know, you're so smart to go ahead and think about it in one-word sequences because a lot of therapists want to jump to multisyllabic words or two-word phrases, which is going to get there eventually. But so many kids yeah. need that in-between step of just repeating, like you just mm-hmm. said with an animal, ba-ba-ba. I do it with prepositions a lot, up, 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 and down, down, down. and Yeah. Um, Maybe not so much with in and in or out, out, out. But you can think about that and think about if that would work for him. And that might, if you're shooting baskets, that might be a way yeah. to practice getting some of that. And even if he were just getting an uh, 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 you know, a real neutral kind of vowel, I think I would think, well, that's a step in the right direction because he's sequencing. Yeah. yeah. And otherwise, okay, good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably what I would do with that. What? How's it, how are your sound cues going? Because those that was another question. I want to be sure that we're getting there. What kind of sound cues are you using for him? You know, I use mostly. Um, I'm not really consistent with them. I probably should say mostly what I've had to do. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm not either. Just so you know, and anybody listening, yeah. I mean, there may be gaps or whatever, but <laughs> we language people. Well, <laughs> Well, for him, um, one of the biggest things for him is just looking at the mouth, looking at my mouth, looking at mom's mouth before he says Uh the before, you know, to get him to, uh, we're saying something, our lips are moving, our tongue is moving. um, And that was a big part of beginning therapy is just, you know, holding stuff near our mouth so that he's even looking. And so, you know, I might do the, the David um, hammer, Hammer prompt, yeah. but I, but I've also yeah. taken the prompt course. So for vowels, I might do something a little bit more exaggerated. Like for ooh, yeah. I hold my cheeks together. For ah, uh, I might you know pull my jaw down with my thumb. Um, smile, you know, big smile for e. So that's yeah. why he sees my hands there, but maybe not doing anything that specific. <laughs> You know, and that's kind of, I'm not as formal about that as I should be. And for anybody listening, you go, YouTube, uh, Pam Marshalla has a video yeah. with some great vowel cues, and those are really the only ones I use. But I love David Hammer stuff, and I've used yeah. his kinds of cues too for a long time. But I'm not super formal with it, and, and neither is uh, David Hammer. Neither are other yeah. really big apraxia experts until kids get a little bit further along. I mean, you can certainly do it at the beginning to cue, but my point is with two-year-olds, sometimes it's a little bit aversive. And so he seems like he's tolerating it well, and he's even doing some things with his own little mouth, putting his hand there. But some kids, that really drives them away. And so uh, you've got a good read with him, though, and he's able to really tolerate that. Yeah, he doesn't mind. I'll be like, do you want me to help you? And I'll, you know, try, but it hasn't been that successful yet. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. And, you know, he hasn't really been imitating very long. It's yeah. just been a few weeks. And so when you think about that, like you said, with his uh, error patterns, he's getting closer and more consistent productions. And so all of that's going to improve, you know, I, just, yeah. again, with time and repetition and practice. And, again, that's why we do all this therapy stuff. How is mom with your with follow-through and with ideas? What, what are some things that, 
that have, are working, and then maybe I can give you some ideas in this last few minutes for some other things to suggest. Yeah. She's, they're very enthusiastic. Both mom and dad are excited to use strategies to help, but not in a specific practice way. And I know this is early intervention, so that's not necessarily um, consistent with our typical philosophies. But I do feel like for him, he needs some really systematic, you know, practice with, you know, I think specific, go ahead, specific words or like, you know, I'll say with the basketball, let's practice. Let's try to make sure we're modeling. Oh, man, and ready, set, go. And um, two, like two points, but I haven't gotten that one yet. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So those kinds of things. I would just do like you're doing and just get a routine for everything <laughs> that he will practice where he, mom and dad can get some consistency with practicing with him. And so I would do exactly what you're doing with saying to parents, okay, how often do you guys play basketball? Let's try to play basketball every day a couple of times. And when you're playing, these are our three little words that we're going to practice. And I think parents always do better when we tie things to their daily routines, which, again, really fits with that family-centered practice. And so – but I think I would have a conversation with them about the the real kicker in making sure that children with apraxia get better is they have to have opportunities for consistent practice. And so really talk about – how often and and what they're practicing. And even if they could do the basketball routine that you've talked about or something that's really related to bath time or something related to snack time or when they're, if he's not potty yet, trained yet, when they're changing him or even if he is when they're taking him to the bathroom, those kinds of things so that they can really, I think there it, it's more consistent for the kid, but more than anything it helps parents remember to do it because yeah. – I think we all get busy and we just forget about what we should be doing. So I think I would try to get some little routines tied into with some target words that he's pretty good at tied into his uh, daily routines. That's how I do it. Now, sometimes two-year-olds are ready for little picture books to practice, but it sounds like to me this little guy will get better results if it's linked to an activity and it's not as – uh, structured as using little pictures and things. I mean, wh- what do you, I don't know him, so what do you think about his little temperament with that? Yeah, I mean, so he has had a, like a functional word book. I kind of, you know, we took pictures uh-huh. of stuff that is yeah. really a favorite of his throughout the house, And but I don't think that he is able to practice the words yet, again, because his body yeah. needs to be moving. Um, or he needs to be active in some way. Um, But I think that's a really good idea to tie the target words to routines. Um, And then you would just say, like, every day when you're doing this routine, these are your target words that you're practicing. So, And you know, Laura, have you heard, Alexa is a new routine that has come to early intervention. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen that? You're in people's houses, and the kids will, like, point at the speaker and be like, ah, you know, like they want to talk to Alexa and have them put a song on. <laughs> oh, that's totally fascinating. No, I have not it seen is. that, but I bet I will now that you've mentioned it. 
Yeah. Wow. So what little routine are you are are you thinking you could do with that? I you know like they, I think one thing they do like oh my gosh this I won't I'm the family is very into music let's just say but say they wanted to hear um, Wheels on the Bus you know you have to say uh-huh. Alexa play Wheels on the Bus <laughs> you know so I guess That's I haven't perfect. done it but he could fill in he could fill in maybe Bus or something like that he could because um, it's such a power and I wonder if he would try Alexa. Yeah, and I wonder I if he know. would try Alexa or ah, you know, even just know. getting some little prosodic imitations. Yeah. Oh, that's good idea. You know, would be good for him. Yeah, that's what yeah. I think I would do. And yeah. for him, I would probably put my hands to my mouth like I'm sort of yelling calling. Alexa, you know, or yeah. sort of yahoo. Yeah, that calling yeah. gesture. I would, I would do yeah. that. Yeah. And see if that. That's a good idea. I want other therapists to tell me what their Alexa routines are. That sounds like it should be a post. That's good. Well, <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, you're right. It should be. Somebody should blog about it. Totally. Well, somebody needs to give me their ideas because I have not had that joyful experience yet, but I bet it will come up now. I bet it will. Oh, so it's what fun. Even my parents have it. <laughs> they do they have Google My husband Yeah our kids all do that with their phones My husband is very uh, Conservative and so he oh, would, good. We, we will not be having Listening devices in our home So there you go I'll just leave it at that <laughs> Yeah Leave it there Okay. Alright so what What other things have we not talked about That you really wanted to talk about with this little guy In our, little, okay, in our so, wrap up yeah, we're, I think we talked about most everything, but um, the the thing about what about crunchy foods? <laughs> um, and if he is just sucking, I mean, I think he's doing a munch, but if he's just sucking on his food, you know, should I be thinking about his jaw? And he's not choking, he doesn't stuff for anyone that he doesn't have feeding, you know, safety concerns. But is there something right, we should be doing to improve? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I would probably try a little bit of that and see. You know, I don't do as much feeding anymore. Or actually, I stopped doing that a while ago. I just dabble if a kid has that, and I just make some suggestions to mom. So I'm yeah. not a big feeding person because you can't be great at everything. But no, with me those kids actually do yeah, I do sort of mess around with snacks and see if I yeah. can get. And, and for a kid, you've already mentioned, like, jaw grating isn't great for him, and he's already really talking with that closed-mouth posture. So I think that just makes sense from a logical perspective that he would be able to handle a cheese ball or, you know, any a chip mm-hmm or something that had a little bit more crunch to it. And I'm sure our colleagues who do a lot of feeding would say, absolutely, what's it going to hurt? You'll just be expanding his diet, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, If parents don't do a lot yeah. of junk food with cookies or chips or whatever, you can certainly look for more nutritious options that would yeah. provide that same kind of movement. But I kind of mess around with it like that. I don't know that I would be super formal and again, I think I would tell parents, look, I don't even know if this is really going really going to help, but here's my 
here's my yeah. thought on this. You know, I see him with that closed mouth. I, I see that he's still really sucking and has a really immature um, swallow pattern. I don't even know if you want to go there, call it, you know, that might alarm I some think, parents. Yeah, I think but it's the bite. It's more the chew that is immature. It's more yeah, of a and munch. So I might, yeah, I might do a little bit there, just kind of looking at it. It's fantastic that he doesn't have any safety issues, and I would really stress that to parents too and say, you know, we're just going to look at this. He talks with his mouth. He eats with his mouth. It, it makes sense that they're connected. There's not a ton of research about this, but some, you know, and, and this is what I yeah. say, is that you know, even though we are using evidence-based practice and looking at research, it doesn't mean that it won't work for one kid. And so yeah. that's how I feel about the oral alerting stuff. You know, I might not have ever done mm-hmm. it for any other kid ever, but it might work in one situation for one child. And so I do think we have to be conscientious about the decisions that we're making and as long as we're telling a parent you know let's just try this this is an idea yeah. the time but this might this might help and just kind mm-hmm. of go go at it from that angle is what i do and everybody knows we're lots of speech pathologists know about talk tools and there are lots of programs that really really advocate this sort of thing but the problem is we can't get a lot of people to duplicate their research and so <laughs> I'm not slamming them, but again, I'm saying you got to be cautious, but at the same time, be open to exploring it for individual children because you, you sometimes yeah. you will be surprised it works for one kid and doesn't seem to matter for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's good. Time. I like that. Well, anything else, Miss Allie? Let's see. I think we we went through everything and. You know, I really have, I do, I use all your resources, Laura. Um, You know, I've gone from 11 steps for this kiddo and building verbal imitation, and I feel like, you know, taking theory to the floor, and I think that's what you do so well is integrate um, theory with practice and experience. And so it's such a gift to all of us that you're so generous with your knowledge and your magic so thank you so much. Aww. I really, really appreciate it. I have my stack of books here. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for saying that, and I appreciate that. And I've just had such a good run of podcast guests who just say the nicest things about me, and I promise I'm not asking for <laughs> those little endorsements, but, boy, do I appreciate it when they come. So thank you so much for saying that and ending the show on that kind of super, super positive note for me. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, anytime you want to come back, Allie, anytime that you want us to just put our heads together and think about a kid, I would love to have you back. And I don't know if I said this at the beginning, but you have been a peer reviewer for me and speech therapist who might not know what that means. With ASHA, anytime you, or it used to be anytime you published a course, you had to have someone with considerable experience or a great resume, and Allie teaches at the university level and so to have um, her as my peer reviewer has just been a great opportunity and that's how we've gotten to know each other and I just love that our philosophies are so similar because every time you send me feedback about something it's just always spot on and I so appreciate hearing what you have to say so thank you so much that is awesome thank you and yes I'd love to come I'm always stumped about somebody so it's, it's always good to have a big conversation and really think about it as a therapist. What else can I do, you know? 
Yeah, and I think it's just good, too, sometimes to get your ideas reinforced. Like, I'm on the right yeah. track. And let me just yeah. have a couple more little tweaks and see what I can add. Yep. So I thought yep. I think that Joe was super helpful, and I know I'm going to get a lot of positive email about it. So thank you so much for doing it. And you just come back anytime. You just email me, and we will do this again. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful thank weekend. You. you too. That's all for today. I hope everyone will join me next time. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Bye-bye.